Howdy, howdy, bitches. It is episode 13, episode... I have no idea what episode it is, let's be realistic. Who gives a shit? It's the episode immediately after UFC 278, so there you go. You can probably figure it out from there, if you're watching this retrospectively. Listening to this retrospectively, I don't do a video, obviously. Anyway, UFC 278 was this past weekend. It was fun, it was cool. Honestly, I thought I did a great job in terms of predicting some of these these main card fights realistically. What I didn't predict, what I didn't mention at any fucking point in my preview episode was this fight is happening, or this card, sorry, was happening in Salt Lake City, Utah, which meant elevation was a significant issue. It meant that everyone and their fucking dog was gassing out. Yeah, it was, uh, (laughs) it was pretty funny. It was pretty funny watching everyone Every single person gassed out. And it really made you question, why the fuck did the matchmakers decide to put motherfuckers like Leonardo Santos here on this card? You know what he's going to do. He, he gasses at the fucking apex, for crying out loud. He's going to gas in Utah. Lo and behold, he did, and then that fight with Jared Gordon turned into this sloppy, sloppy affair. Same thing with the Tabura-Romanov fight. Romanov can drive a pace into a second or third round. He had nothing after the first round. He had nothing. Hit some good takedowns in the first, and then bada bing, bada boom, it was all over. Because that, that elevation is a killer. And that was that. Same thing kind of happened in Sean Woodson versus Luis Saldana, which was a fucking mess of a fight. But very fun. A very fun fight. Anyway, y'all don't want to hear about these motherfuckers on the prelims. Y'all want to hear about the main card. You probably want to hear about Leon Edwards versus Kamara Usman because it was one of the craziest knockouts you're ever going to see in your life, at least in terms of context. As Daniel Cormier came out today, and today being Tuesday, Tuesday Australia, that is, Tuesday here in Melbourne. So for you Americans, it's probably Monday, depending on when I actually put this fucking episode out. Anyway, Daniel Cormier did a thing. He went on to his podcast, his weird fucking podcast, where he's, what's his name, Ryan, is it Ryan Clark? RC. Yeah, I think it's Ryan Clark. Look, I only, I've only been watching the NFL for like three years. I, I miss a lot of these motherfuckers. I don't even know who's who. You feel me? Anyway, so he went on the podcast and he was talking about how it's the greatest high kick knockout he's ever seen in a UFC fight or an MMA fight. One of the two who gives a shit. And I mean, I can't really disagree with him. There were some people in the comments of that post on Reddit and on Twitter talking about, oh, what about Edson Barboza versus Terry Adam? And I'm like, yeah, no, I get you. I understand where you're coming from. Aesthetically, that's a better knockout. A spinning spinning fucking heel kick for the finish from Barboza? No, that's just dope. But the narrative of this one's just too fucking good. The whole Leon kind of getting passed over... On multiple occasions, the fact that Leon was just kind of considered, I don't know, I think a lot of people came into this fight giving him a decent shot, but the hype had gotten ahead of Usman relative to where I think he was, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's been fucking sensational recently, I just don't think he was perfect, and I just thought Leon Edwards matched up well with him in some regards, also matched up with him terribly in, in other regards. And that's what we talked about in the preview episode. We talked about... What did we talk about? We talked primarily about how Leon needs to win the early rounds because Usman's going to find his timing and Leon's got weapons which are going to work well early on in the fight. He has a really long, rangy southpaw game. He can fight out of both stances, though. And it's a matter of when you're in orthodox, throwing the jab and using 
the jab feint to set up the outside low kick and, you know, slipping a right hand in there behind the jab if you can. But then going back to Southpaw and fighting as long as possible because Usman's the kind of guy who he needs his timing down. It takes him a round or so to get his timing down for that jab, for his, his jab cross. And once he has his timing, he's a very, very dangerous man. As we saw against Gilbert Burns. That's the fight we're going to refer to until the end of fucking time. Because I, I just think that's the perfect example of him getting his bearings in a fight. He came out, his jab got countered by the overhand right by Burns. And then going into the second round, he started landing his jab, he started landing his jab. And then the first knockdown of the fight, I believe, occurs off of the jab. With Burns stepping in on Usman. And Usman catching him with the lead hand. So, that's the kind of thing that if you give Usman time to to find his timing and time your right hand in particular, then you're going to have some issues. So, fighting a rangy matchup, particularly on, particularly early on in the fight, not giving him an opportunity to to flurry in, close the distance, look for the body lock, things like that. You know, it's it's paramount to success. And I thought Leon did a fucking sensational job in the first round. He was switching stances really fluidly. He was throwing kicks. He was throwing a lot of tapes, re-leg tapes from Southpaw to the body. And he was also using that to set up the roundhouse kicks to the body and the head. Because, obviously, if you're looking for things coming right down the middle, it gives you an opportunity to land around the side. So he was he was pairing those weapons up quite effectively landing his left hand as well, and then they got into the clinch, and it was cool because Leon Edwards looked pretty damn strong in the clinch, which was awesome. I I thought, well, I mean, we didn't really talk about Leon getting takedowns in the fight. We talked about Leon, you know, he's, he's so fucking dangerous with his elbows on the break. He's so dangerous with his knees in the clinch. If you're Usman, you cannot rest on your laurels, and you can't just fuck around in the clinch in this fight because Leon is just he he slices and dices better than most. But we didn't anticipate a takedown from Leon. Did a really, really good job in the first round. There is a takedown he lands. I'm just having a look now what the, the exact timestamp was. It was about two minutes into the first round. And they're in they're in an over-under with Edwards initially. He starts with his back to the cage. And you can see from the initiation of the takedown. Edwards pushes back into Usman and he has a really tight grip. He has an underhook on the left side and an overhook on the right side and he is just, he's holding that left arm of Usman right to his body, not giving him any leverage at all. And he steps around with the outside trip with his left leg and he goes straight into mount. And Usman tries to turn over and give his back because of this is MMA if you've got an option between being mounted and having your back taken, you give up your back because getting mounted when motherfuckers can throw elbows at you is not fucking fun. So yeah, he tries to give up his back, but Edwards gets hooks in really quick and consolidates his takedown very effectively. It was really cool. It was good to see. You love to see it. And I believe he takes he took his back in the round as well. He took his back in the round and kind of threatened for a little bit there. I thought Usman was very calm when his back was taken. Thought he did a great job, controlled the wrists, looked sensational. So the first round went to Edwards. Usman, I think, was just caught off guard by that. I mean, shit. You you don't expect Leon Edwards to 
fucking come out with the Henry Cejudo over-under outside trips. Actually, it's not. Henry Cejudo generally goes for an inside trip off over-under. So, correction there. I apologize. But yeah, you just don't expect that kind of thing from him in a, in a fight where it's clear that you are billed as being the takedown artist, you know? And then the rest of the fight was pretty interesting, albeit, well, not as fast-paced as I think we expect from a Kamar Usman fight at this point, which is it was funny given that he was... Mr. Snoozeman for a second there, and everyone was talking shit, you know, after the Watts' fight with Valhalla, Emil Meek, after the Emil Meek fight, and there was all the 30% memes and, and shit like that, you know, that that was a whole meme for a second there, and it was just really fucking irritating, well, he kind of, it, it almost seemed like he reverted to that a little bit here, I think part of that is just ultimately the altitude, he couldn't push the pace that he usually does, but... Even still, Usman trains at altitude with Whitman and the team there at Elevation. That that team is Elevation. No, it's not Elevation. Whitman's got his own thing. Elevation's a whole fucking different thing. That's with like Corey Sanhagen and Curtis Blades and them, and them motherfuckers. Nah, but he trains in Denver, so he, he's he's well acclimated to altitude. It's just, I think, you know... Still, it's different to fighting in Vegas. If you're used to fight, like actually fighting in Vegas, I'm sure coming out to Utah, it's a little more difficult to uh, to push the pace. But yeah, I thought Usman did a really good job. Second and fourth rounds, was doing a good job in the fifth round. Good work from the body lock. There were a couple of times where the crowd started fucking booing because he had the body lock, and he, he took the back quite a few times, actually. I thought Edwards did a really good job. Whenever his back was taken, he's fighting the hands, and he's turning back in, and he's getting underhooks, and, and there were a few occasions where I think he just allowed himself to be clinched up against for a little bit too long. There wasn't enough urgency in his performance, and that's when... Dean Thomas starts getting on the broadcast and starts talking about Leon Edwards is accepting defeat. He's taking he's taking it as a victory for him to for to make it to the final bell. To make it to the decision is going to be a victory for Leon Edwards in his heart of hearts and and that is unacceptable. And then his coach came out in between the fourth and the fifth rounds and was like, Motherfucker, what are you doing? Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Get this shit done. And it was really rousing and cool, and everyone was like, wow, that's that's awesome, and then Edwards wasn't doing a whole lot in the fifth round as well, kind of looked like he was cruising again, you know, just just trying to make it to the final bell, and then uh, and then he puts out a straight left into, into a left high kick from Southpaw, <laughs> the kind of thing that I think he, well, it's the kind of thing that he sets up in so many fucking fights, he set it up in the Bilal Muhammad fight, actually landed it in the Bilal Muhammad fight. Was it from Southpaw or Orthodox? I think it was from Southpaw in the Muhammad fight. He's landed it quite a few times, actually, throughout his career. And landed it picture perfect on Usman, and Usman fucking died. I mean, he didn't, obviously. He didn't literally die, but I mean, he, he might as well have, because fuck, man, that was a bomb. It was a bomb of a shot. Perfectly executed, and that was that. It was the end of the fight. So yeah, I think it's going to be a very interesting third fight between the two. Can't wait to see it. They're talking about, hey, maybe we can get it at Wembley. or I don't think Wembley will ever happen, honestly. The UFC's just not committed to the outdoor event space. And Wembley, if I recall correctly, I don't believe you can close the roof at Wembley. I might be wrong on that, but I don't believe you can. And I don't know, the UFC, when was the last time they did it? They did it 
Anderson Silva versus Damian Meyer. I think that was the first Abu Dhabi card. I'm trying to think of an of a time more recent than that. They've done soccer stadiums and they've they've done Marvel Stadium here in Australia a couple of times, but those were with the roof closed. So I I just don't see them doing something like Wembley. Also, would Leon Edwards versus Kamara Usman sell out Wembley? I don't know. I don't know. That's a question you have to ask the British audience. I don't know. But yeah. When they do fight in their trilogy fight, it's not going to be at altitude, so I think Leon will be a little more active. And again, I think the same tenets apply to a trilogy fight. Leon has to win the first fucking two rounds, and at the very least the first two rounds, and then he has to try and hope to steal the third, fourth, and f- or fifth. Or alternatively knock the motherfucker out. But it's a, it's very difficult to knock him out. <laughs> considering that, what, Usman was on a 15-fight win streak, something like that, 15 or 16-fight win streak here in the UFC. Was it just the UFC, or I cannot remember. Kamaru Usman, I'm just bringing it up now. Well, he's 20-1 and now, so I think it was like a 15-fight win streak here in the UFC. Which was very impressive. He was, yeah, I think he was one shy of Anderson Silva's record. Shout out Leon Edwards for protecting Anderson Silva's continued legacy. Very impressive stuff. So yeah, I'm very excited for the trilogy fight. I think it will be a really good matchup. It'll be interesting to see how Usman recovers after getting knocked the fuck out. Thought he had a great fight. Just had him, you know. Tried to slip to the inside when he shouldn't have slipped as deep as, as he did. It reminded me very much of... Very much of... What's his name? Randy Costa versus Adrian Yanez. Because after the fight, Adrian Yanez was talking about... Eh, it was really difficult to slip because I wanted to slip his shots because he was, he was landing his jab on me so much. I wanted to slip his shots, but he kept throwing the lead leg switch kick off of the jab... So I was scared that, well, if, if if I slip the jab, which is fucking my eye up, you know, he's poking me with that jab over and over and over again, and it's proving problematic. It's fucking up my eye. If I try and slip that jab, I might slip into a high kick, and that's not good. That's not ideal either. And, you know, it's times like this where I think back to that from Adrian Yanez, because, yeah... Obviously, we want to slip every shot we can, but sometimes you got to take the fucking you got to take the straight left or avoid the left high kick. Uh, I know which one I'd much rather get hit with. Much rather? Not that I'd rather get hit with one. I'd just much rather not get hit with the other. Anyway, that's beside the point. It was a cool fight. I had a good time. The foot stomps came back. Loved that. Loved that. Pissed the fuck out of the crowd. Actually. Just before we move on, did one thing did piss me off. Both of these motherfuckers came to cheat. And and I don't really I wasn't too pissed off about that. I wasn't too pissed off about that feature of the fight. You know, both of them were, were cheating at various points. What was it? I think Leon Leon held the cage a couple of times when Usman was trying to take him down. I think Usman also did the exact same, did also hold the cage at various intervals. There was one point where Leon I think he landed a kick to the body, and Kamara's like, oh, fuck, you hit my nuts, and then I think they went to replay, and it wasn't actually a shot to the nuts, and the fight got restarted pretty soon after. I'm trying, I think so. I think that was this fight. 
It was just a bunch of stuff. It was weird, though, because I think Herb Dean was officiating this contest, and it just felt like he was picking weird intervals. Like, he was really... He was being a little more harsh on Leon about the about the fouls, but he was missing so many of the Usman fouls. It's like, eh, it just feels unfair now. You know, punish them both, motherfucker. You've got to be able to pick on pick on both of them. But then... Then in the final round, well, there's not. This isn't necessarily tied to that discussion. The discussion on them cheat being cheaters, whatever. That that's a whole different thing. I don't really mind because they kind of canceled each other out, honestly. But then in the in the fifth round, Herb Dean breaks them up about halfway through the round, and it, ultimately it's kind of what led to the high kick knockout. Because I mean, no offense, Leon, but I just don't see you landing a fucking left hand into left high kick, you know, when you're getting pressed up against the fucking cage by Usman, you know, so Leon was with his back to the cage, I believe, and Usman was just kind of foot stomping, was stalling a little bit, but Leon wasn't doing anything, like, he wasn't doing anything to escape, and I, yeah, it was a separation, and it's always weird, it's always weird when referees separate. You know, I think you can make the argument either way. You can make the argument on one hand, yes, we much prefer an active fight. We much prefer the combatants actually engaging because, shit, I don't want to, like, fuck, cost so much for a goddamn UFC event these days. For a UFC pay- pay-per-view event, if you're in the US and you are not flying the high seas, then you're paying fucking 80 bucks for this shit. So the idea that their motherfuckers would be stalling the whole time I, you know, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't appreciate that, so I kind of get that, but then simultaneously, you're rewarding Leon Edwards for doing nothing, and you're rewarding Leon Edwards for being tired and incapable of, you know, pushing back and reversing a position. I'm trying to think of the, the only times that I would say, I don't know, I think if you're a referee and someone's in guard, Ah, no, but it's still a position of control, and if someone isn't able to get out of... If someone isn't able to stand up from guard, that's on them, dude. You know? That's on them. Damn, fuck. I'm just not generally a fan of separations. Even when a fight is boring as fuck, it's like, just let it be boring. You know? And I think... I don't know. It wasn't a terrible separation. It was just a separation that made me go, Oh, really? That might be a that might be something of note. That might influence the outcome of this fight. At that point, I was pretty convinced that Usman was going to win. I just thought that Edwards wasn't going to be able to uh, to pull the cat out of the bag and get the finish because he's not a finisher generally. But you know, I did have that thought. Oh, maybe this might be significant in in the scope of things. We'll see. And then lo and fucking behold. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Make up your own decision about that separation. Whatever. Let's talk about the fucking co-main event, because it fucking slapped, and I knew it was going to slap. You knew it was going to slap. If you watched my fucking video, if you watched my my preview video that I managed to actually put up a full day before the fight, I was so surprised that I managed to do that. I was, I was hustling to finish that fucking thing. And I got it done. It was cool. Yes. Had a lot of stuff on Luke Rockhold and Paulo Costa. And they fucking delivered, man. Even though Luke Rockhold was g-g-g-g-gassed, he was fucked up. 
from, I swear to God, like the first minute of the fight. It's like he threw three kicks and realized, holy shit, I am not acclimated to this shit. So yeah, that <laughs> bit of a dog move for the matchmakers to chuck Luke Rockhold in fucking Utah after three years off. His last fight was against fucking Jan Blahovich, and I think, honestly, a significant part of it, a significant issue that he had in that fight was gassing. And now you're going to send this man to fucking Utah for his return fight to middleweight? Like, bro, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, it was a unanimous decision in favor of Paulo Costa. It was 30-27 on all three scorecards. Now, high key. I think you can score the second for Luke Rockhold. I think he clearly landed the more, more significant strikes. Even though Paulo Costa, I think, landed volume-wise. And, and he doesn't hit softly. It's not like he hits like a fucking feather. I recognize that, but I just thought Luke... Well, there was that moment in the in the round where Luke, I think, got jabbed, said, fuck you, then got jabbed, and then said, fuck you again. And then after that second fuck you, throws this massive left hook and puts all his weight behind it, and Paulo gets rocked, or at the very least, stumbles backwards. And I was like, whoa, Jesus. There, there was a couple of occasions like that where Paulo was kind of sent stumbling back by left by left hooks and you're just thinking to yourself man if Luke if you had just a little bit more gas right now you could finish this man because oh I thought his left hand looked really solid looked really solid he got caught with some counter left hooks here and there no shit he, his eye got fucked up from the get-go he broke his jaw or something like that he he had an issue very early on in the fight. I think it was because there was he was bleeding into his nose, but he could not close his mouth. His his lower lip, I think it was, looked jacked up from the first minute of the fight, and it just looked, it looked painful. I saw that and went, oh, this fight's over. <laughs> He's gonna get fucking finished. And then Paulo Costa got in on him, took him down. I was having some success on the ground, actually. I thought it looked really good on the ground. Which, I mean, we were excited to see that. We were excited to see what, what Luke was going to do on the ground, sure. But Paulo, you know, he has some Brazilian jiu-jitsu credentials. He came into the UFC when he went on to tough, and he was originally kind of a Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialist. We didn't really see much of his stand-up on tough. And then he comes into the UFC proper, and he's just decided, you know what, I'm just going gonna, gonna to have this this wild style where I just march motherfuckers down, throw right body kicks and throw hooks to the body as well, you know? That's going to be my thing. He's a, he's a fucking weird dude. Weird motherfucker. But yeah, he, he showed off some of his Brazilian jiu-jitsu credentials. I'm trying to think which round it was. There was one round where Luke kind of stalled position by holding across the back and underneath his arm, underneath his leg, sorry, and it, it basically just kind of stuck Paulo to him. And, I mean, that was kind of cool. Yeah, I thought it was going to turn into a fucking buggy joke. Who was that? I think it was Sean Woodson. Was it Sean Woodson? Earlier on in the evening? Nearly had a buggy choke for like fucking two and a half minutes on Luis Saldana. I think it was. Don't fucking quote me on that. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But yeah. It kind of looked like he was setting up a buggy choke or something, but then you realized, oh, no, he's just stalling. <laughs> Fair enough. You're tired, Luke. Uh, I understand. But, yeah, it was it was cool watching them on the ground. And then at the end of the fight, Polo was, in, was on the back, and I believe he had a body triangle in. Uh, was it a body triangle? Uh, no, actually, I, I'm going to say it was double hooks. I think he had both hooks in, and Luke was able to turn into him. 
was able to turn into him at the end of the fight, and it was just the most, like, oh, it was so cool. It was the most vindictive shit you've ever seen. Luke, in this fight, embodied that old grizzly vet who just, he's not enjoying anything in this fight. You know, this isn't an enjoyable experience for him, but he's going to, like, fuck these bitches. That's the kind of attitude he has. He was characterized by old man rage throughout the course of this fight, and I respect that. I respect that, Luke. Yeah, it was it was very funny just watching him be so mad that he was like, you know, fuck it, I don't give a shit if... I don't give a shit how long there is in the fight. I don't care how much effort this is going to require. I am going to turn back into you, Paula. And he ended up on top. He ended up in the garden. He was rubbing his fucking, his bloody ass face all over Paula. And it was a little bit disgusting, but it was also a little bit cool. And we all fucking loved it. Yeah, I thought that was dope as shit. Yeah. Oh, man. And there was, there were just so many fucking things. There were a few times where they exchanged body kicks and you're like, oh. <laughs> Oh, I don't like watching Luke do that with Paulo Costa. But that was like initially in the fight. In the first round, they they exchanged a couple of times with the, with the body kicks. And I was thinking to myself, Luke, I know that you have a mean... Like when you blast that body kick, it's fucking ridiculous. It's mean as shit. But don't do this with Paulo Costa. Because he was gassing from the get-go, Luke was. And you just know, if that's the kind of fight that you get into you're going to come off second best. You do not have the gas tank that Costa does. This man went three ridiculously hard rounds with Yoel Romero. And even if he was fading at points in that fight, he was still there and he was throwing mad volume. You're not going to be able to keep this up with him, Luke. But, you know, he he got hurt a little bit in that first round and was able to weather the storm. Came out, looked fucking dead on the stool. Trevor Whitman and, and the peeps in his corner. I think Henry Hooft was in his corner as well. So they brought the whole gang together. They were all in his corner and they're like, come on, Luke, come on, recover, recover. And Luke looks like he is on the verge of killing himself. It is just, oh. <laughs> I genuinely thought he was going to quit on the stool. And I, and I honestly wouldn't have begrudged him because, like, I don't know, it just seems like a really shitty position to be in in fucking Utah at elevation fighting Paulo fucking Costa who just body kicks the shit out of you. Like, bruh, who devised this shit? Where's McMaynard? Let's let's fucking pump that dude in the head for this shit, you know? But then he got back up. He got back in the fight. And <laughs> there's one point in the second round where he was literally hands on his knees right in front of Polo as well. And I was just thinking to myself, Polo, just jab him. I was rooting for Luke in this fight, but it kind of infuriated me that Polo didn't take advantage of the fact that his opponent was literally standing there with his hands on his fucking knees. It's like, if you're going to hit him, now is the time to hit him, motherfucker. And he didn't do shit. It was a bit frustrating, but that's okay. There was some funny shit in this fight. I'm trying to think. Luke Luke got nutshotted, and then Paulo was mad. He pulled the same thing he pulled in the fucking Uriah Hall fight. He threw a right hook to the body, only he threw it about as low as he fucking can. And it, it fucking smashed the shit out of Luke's cup. He did it to Uriah, I think, twice. I know there was one about 20 seconds before the end of the first round in that, that fight with Hall. And then I think he kind of hit him on the nut, hit him in the nuts again in the second round. I don't know whether it was stopped, but... You know, there was a few times where he went with that right hook to the body and, and hit Uriah, and then he hit Luke 
blush on the cup in this fight. And Luke goes back to his corner and is like, eh, fuck my nuts. And Paulo's mad. At least, I can't remember whether he was actually mad in the cage at the time. But after the fight, he goes on Instagram and he's complaining about, like, he's posting still images of the frame after his fucking fist slides off, you know, Luke's big dick. And he's like, oh, see, proof. Proof that, you know... Proof that I didn't hit him in the nuts. And it's like, no, no, you can't post a single fucking screenshot for this, you dumbass. We know what you're doing here. This is fucking bullshit. It's very clear if you actually watch the goddamn footage, your fist made contact with his balls. So get fucked. And then, so Luke, obviously, you get nutshotted. You get five minutes to recover. And Luke is like, oh, man. He jumps back in after a minute and a half. And I think every single person in their fucking child and their dog and their whatever was just yelling at the screen going, No, Luke, take the full five minutes, you fucking idiot. You're clearly more gassed than he is. But I think I think Luke, well, Luke had been told in his corner, you know, Paulo's gassing. He looks tired. And Paulo did look significantly more tired than he usually does. You know, particularly knowing that he went a full five rounds with Marvin Vittori in that ridiculous fight where they were throwing mad volume the whole time. So, you know, he looked pretty tired relative to what we've seen before. So I I get it. You want to push the pace, but you also have to look at yourself and you have to, you have to make a conscious decision. You have to recognize that, hey, maybe I'm not in the best state to just leap back into this this fucking cage fight with this monstrous dude who body kicks like a motherfucker who throws mean-ass right hooks to the body against southpaws, of which I am. You know, maybe maybe I shouldn't do that immediately. But lo and behold, this man was like, nah, you know, he's doing his old man grizzly fuck you kind of thing. And he just leaps back on in and you're there going, what the fuck are you doing, Luke? But then I, I think it was after that that he nearly finished him, not nearly finished him, but he staggered with him with the left hook. And then in the third round, they come out and Luke, I think Paulo slipped. Was that? A, I need to rewatch the fight, honestly. But I think it was a slip and Luke gets so trigger happy. He fucking basically launches himself over Paulo. He completely kind of misses Paulo. And it's like, oh my God, this is the exact opposite of what Luke Rockhold usually does. Motherfuckers fall over around him and it's done. It's a wrap. The whole rest of the round is him beating the shit out of them. Think about Luke's fight with Lyoto Machida. In the second round, Luke doesn't even really land a shot clean and Machida just kind of falls down because he's he's pretty gassed at this point. He just he spent the first round getting fucked up. He basically falls down and, and that's kind of what leads to the end of the fight. Luke, you know, starts transitioning, gets to the back, starts landing ground and pound, bada bing, bada boom, you get what you get. And, you know, it, it just, it's something that's happened on multiple occasions. Guys, they make a small mistake, their foot placement isn't perfect, they trip for a second, and all of a sudden Luke Rock holds on them, and he is not letting go, you know? Uh, but he completely overshot the entry. Paulo was down on the ground, and Luke just was like, I'm fucking, I've got my opportunity, and just fucked it up, and... Paulo was able to get up immediately after. And then later on in the fight, Luke shoots a, shoots a double leg that... Whoa. I think we were all waiting for it. We were kind of like, please do not shoot, Luke. Please. Even though even though getting this man down would probably 
I mean, it would be the best case scenario at this point in the fight. You don't do it. <laughs> don't do it because he's going to sprawl on you. And lo and behold, this man did sprawl on him. And Luke was just stuck under reaching for a leg from Paulo for like 15 seconds. And it was just the most... It was not fun. It was not a fun 15 seconds. Not fun for Luke and not fun for fans of Luke. But yeah, I thought it was a pretty ugly fight, but a damn entertaining one at that. And I don't know, man. Paulo Costa, sometimes he does things that make me go, wow, you are technically so well put together. Like your fundamental striking technique is so solid. Even though, you know, there are times when I think his strategy, strategy-wise, he's absolute fucking ass. But, you know, his technique, his left hook technique in particular, the way that he throws that right body kick, oh, oh, I, there are just very few people in mixed martial arts today who I think do those kinds of things, who throw those weapons as fucking good as Paulo Costa does, with as exceptional technique as Paulo Costa. And then there are just, you know, then there are times where he's just throwing shit and you, you're just sitting there going, what the fuck are you doing, Paulo? <laughs> But hey, I, I will never be able to accuse him of having a boring fight. So, whatever. It is what it is. 30-27 on all three judges' scorecards? Eh, probably not. You know, I, I kind of want to make the argument that you could score at 29-28 in favor of Luke Rockhold. But, no. <laughs> Paulo Costa won that fight. 29-28 for Paulo Costa would have been my scorecard. Fair enough, though. Luke Rockhold... Went out in his shield and... I don't know, man. It was just... It was both heartwarming and really, really sad. I'm actually... I've been really sad for the past two days about it. You know that kind of nostalgic sadness? There is a sadness that you get where you're just crying and you feel it in your... You feel it in your throat and it just... The kind of sadness that just possesses your whole body. But then you have that kind of longing, nostalgic sadness, which isn't as visceral. doesn't prompt tears or anything like that, necessarily. But it's just like, it feels like there's a hole in your chest. And it feels just like, like something's missing. And that's how I've felt for the past few days, honestly. Because I'm like, damn, man. This was Luke Rockhold's comeback. Even if he, you know, come on, man. I want to see more Luke Rockhold. Come on. Because that was so entertaining. That was everything that you expect out of a Luke Rockhold fight. Entertaining. Doesn't matter whether he gets knocked out in 10 seconds or whether it goes to decision. It's fucking entertaining. You know it's going to be entertaining every fucking time he steps in there because that's just the kind of fighter he is. He's a do-or-die motherfucker. And his chin wasn't... His chin held up. I said it in the fucking preview. I said it in the preview. It's probably my favorite prediction out of this fight is, you know, I think it's completely overstated how bad Luke Rockhold's chin is. Completely overstated, because he ran into one of the heaviest-handed knockout artists the middleweight division will ever see, ever, in Yoel Romero. Probably the most powerful man in middleweight history. And then he ran into a pretty heavy-handed, in his own right, Jan Blahovic, who was kind of reaching his peak at that point. And, and a fighter who was undervalued in terms of his talent level, but was also at a very high talent level. You know, so, you know, so he got knocked out by him. But also, that was just picture-perfect placement from Yarn as well. The left hook coming out of the clinch, out of the underhook, like, it was picture-perfect. 
I don't think there's a man alive that ain't getting knocked out by that shot. That was more just a technical deficiency as opposed to a deficiency with his chin. You get me? There's a difference. And who else was he not? He was knocked out by Michael Bisping. And again, that was a placement kind of thing. And he didn't go down in one shot. He popped back up after the initial left hook, and then he got hit with another shot, which put him down and, you know, proper knocked him out. So, I don't know, dude. I just don't think his chin... Coming into the fight, I didn't think his chin was as bad as as people were saying it was. And the fight fucking proved that to me. So I feel validated. <laughs> yeah, no, that was cool. And then you have, disappointing, Marab Valashvili defeating Jose Aldo. Again, why are you putting Jose Aldo in fucking Salt Lake City? Feels like bullshit. And putting Marab as well. Marab can usually put on a pace and a half. We're talking about talking about that in the preview. I gave this a like a kind of 50-50 assessment in the preview. And yeah, I think I was a bit disappointed by Jose's his attitude towards the clinch, but it what did it didn't surprise me because again, we talked about it in the preview in the Alexander Volkanovsky fight, Volkanovsky wasn't shooting single legs, he wasn't shooting doubles, he wasn't he wasn't reaching for the high crotch or anything. You know, he he recognized that he wasn't Chad Mendez. And additionally, he also recognized that Chad Mendez was trying those things. He was trying shots on Jose, and he wasn't having success. So it's like, you know, just back him up to the fence with a fucking with the body clinch and wear rounds out of him that way. If it's a fucking three-round fight, that's the best approach you can take. And, I mean, out of the people that Aldo has fought recently and lost to... I think Volkanovski took the least amount of damage. I mean, Connor obviously, but Connor also took a fucking hard shot when he when he knocked him out with the left. So, like, he was bleeding. He was bleeding, and you see it in the post fight press conference. There, there's there's a little there's a bruise on Connor's face, even though he got the the knockout in thirteen fucking seconds. He still had a big ass bruise from a left hand that Jose managed to land. So, I think Volkanovski came out the least scarred from his fight with Aldo. And Marab must have seen that fight and went, hey, I'll do that. <laughs> I thought he was doing some interesting things. There was there were some points in the first round where he threw like four jabs in a row. And he was throwing them at the same tempo every single time. And what it felt like was he was just trying to get a reaction. And Aldo wasn't giving him shit. I think he wanted Aldo to try and slip and fire back or, or just pull back in a predictable manner or something, you know, and then he was going to come with the right hand, but Aldo wasn't giving it to him. And so then when Marab did go, all right, it's no longer just the jab, I'm going to throw the jab with the cross behind it, Aldo just slipped and, and got out of the way and, and didn't take any damage. And it's like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Aldo's too old for this shit. Like Luke Rockhold, he's too old for this shit. He's not going to, he's not going to fall for your shit. But Marab did land a couple of good shots here and there. We saw we saw like one big outside low kick from Aldo, and it was dope as fuck. We saw a lot of intercepting knees from Aldo, which was cool. I love when he does that. We don't see it as often these days, but I think it's a really cool weapon. And particularly against a guy who his whole goal is, I want to close the distance and get in on the body lock on this motherfucker. If he's trying to get in close to you like that, then yes, I think... Throwing an intercepting knee is a, is a decent strategy. Just ultimately, I think Aldo just needed to be more active on the breaks. Because did he even get taken? I don't think he got taken down once. They pulled out at one point the statistic that Aldo had defended 12 of 12 takedowns throughout the course of the fight. But 
Marab didn't need to shoot. He didn't need to shoot. It was just going to complicate the scenario. He just needed to stay on the hips, and he needed to stay with Aldo's body and keep him pressed up against the cage, and he was going to win rounds by virtue of just being there. And then when they did separate, it, it never felt like Aldo was landing shots which were that much more damaging. There are some people that I've seen online that are like, oh, no, Aldo was landing the cl- like the more damaging strikes when they were out at range, and Valishvili's control means absolutely nothing with the current modern scoring criteria and I'm th- I'm listening to these arguments thinking to myself but Aldo didn't land anything that was definitively that much bigger than the shit that Marab was landing so it's like Marab has the control time and he did land a like he wasn't landing that hard in the clinch but he was landing some decent shots here and there and then when they were out of range it was pretty even with Aldo probably getting the advantage in in terms of the power but just by like, I don't know, it just felt like, really, you're going to split hairs and call this a fucking robbery or call this bullshit? No, it, Marab won that fucking fight. So yes, credit to Marab Volishvili. Bit disappointing that this is probably how the Jose Aldo train ends, because we were all so excited to see him fight Aljamain Sterling. Honestly, I think, fuck, it's just so disappointing that that fight didn't get booked, because Aldo, oh... I give him the advantage in that fight. I genuinely think he, stylistically, is perfect to beat up Aljamain Sterling. And the fact that we're never going to see that fight, we're never going to see him win that that bantamweight championship is really sad to me. But, yeah. Credit to Marab Valishvili, and I'm excited to see him in a really entertaining fight down the track, because this wasn't, but I don't really blame him, because, again, it was in Utah. Then there's other stuff on the card. Tyson Pedro landed a good jab on Harry Hunsucker and then threw a, a really nice body kick, threw a nice teep to the midsection, and Hunsucker fell like a sack of potatoes. That was cool. Lucia Putilova was taking, Wu Yuna, taking on Wu Yunan and beat her on the ground but via TKO, and I just don't give a shit. I don't know why that was on the fucking main card. I like Putilova, but I mainly like Putilova for that one fucking fight that she had against Irene Aldana back at UFC, what was that, 228? Yeah. And then immediately after that, she had a boring-ass fight with Liz Carmouche. So I'm like, eh, I don't know about this chick. But, you know, she's been pretty good outside of the octagon, actually. You know, just look, I, I completely had disregarded her record since she got ousted from the UFC because she, she won a couple of fights in the UFC. She lost to Lena Landsberg in her, her debut in the promotion. Won two fights in a row, and then she went on a four-fight losing streak to Aldana, Kamush, Antoni- Antonia Shevchenko, and Justine Kish. And if you're losing to Justine Kish, whoa, that ain't good. So yeah, she got cut, and she's been fucking around, and she had like fucking four fights last year. Had a fight earlier this year in April, and then she got she made it back into the USA, and now she gets this win. So oh, I'm kind of happy for Butelova, but no offense. But keep her on the prelims. Don't put her on a main card of a pay-per-view event, please. There, there. Don't think this is a sexist thing as well. I just don't think Pudilova's that great of a fighter, and Wu Yunnan's certainly not that great of a fighter either. So, eh. But then simultaneously, I look down this this fight card, and I'm like, who else would I put on this main card? Probably like Tabura Romanov. But then that fight, like, they both gassed out so quickly. What what other stuff is on this card? Uh, Amir Albazi got a rear naked choke on Francisco Figueiredo, which was cool. It was impressive. 
particularly given Figueredo, I think he's pretty entertaining on the ground. I think he's pretty good on the ground, as we saw in his most recent fight. And so that that was cool. Shout out Albazi. I believe he's ranked like number 10 in the flyweight division now, so that's cool for him. And uh, Angelosa defeated AJ Fletcher. And that was really fun. I thought that was really impressive from Losa. Came out and they were talking on the in the commentary that Losa does have the habit of kind of just covering up a little too much, utilizing the high guard a little bit too a little bit too often. Similar to like Vicente Luque in the way that like Brian Barbarena was able to back up Vicente and just prevent Vicente from landing his counter left hook because he was forcing him to keep his high guard up the whole time. He was throwing so many punches that he had no other option. And Losa kind of does that on occasion. And that's how the fight started. AJ Fletcher was doing a great job. He was doing a great job switching stances and doing work from both Southpaw and Orthodox. There were a few times where he was starting in Southpaw and he was shifting in with a straight left or a left hook, and then he was throwing a right hook to the body. Landed a couple of really nice right hooks to the body throughout the course of this fight from both Southpaw and Orthodox. And then, well, Losa started landing his own left hooks to the body and just not covering up as much. He realized that, oh, wow, AJ Fletcher's doing pretty good when it comes to defending my my jab. And he was throwing his jab cross, and he wasn't having much success with it initially. And then he realized, if I just throw my right hand naked, I just throw it down the barrel, straight at him, no setup with the jab, it'll land. And it just started fucking landing over and over and over and over again. It was like in the Luke rockhold Polo Costa fight when Rockhold just threw like four left body kicks in a row. And Costa was like, ha that that's the last one, right? No, no, there was another one. Oh, yeah, okay, that that's it, Luke, huh? Yeah, and he throws another one. After the fourth one, the shit talk from Costa had stopped. It had ceased. You can't really shit talk after that if you're getting hit with them each fucking time. It was the same kind of thing. AJ Fletcher... I mean, he wasn't shit-talking or anything, but he got caught with the straight right, and then you're like, oh, okay, that was a good shot from Losa, and then Losa went, oh, well, that worked, so I'll do that again. Throws a naked straight right down the middle, lands again, and then, yeah, then he, there was a point where he goes back to the jab cross again, and AJ's able to to avoid those shots. <laughs> you know, if you give him the range finder of the jab, it actually helped him avoid the shots a little better, which I think was interesting. Maybe that's because you know, he fights Southpaw half the time, so, you know, he's going in between stances, he's going in between stances, and maybe he's kind of losing track of his his own stance relative to Losa, and the weapons that are available to him, and the weapons that Losa has available to him, I don't know, I, I that's complete bullshit, I don't even believe that, I don't even believe what I just said, oh well, there, so that was UFC 278, and that was, I don't know, what else can we fucking talk about? Talk about, uh well, this weekend. This weekend is one on Prime, and it's going to be fucking dope. I'm so excited for this fight, for this card. It has Marias versus Johnson 2, the rematch between DJ and Adriano Marias. That's going to be heaps of fun. Who did Marias recently beat, actually? I have to look that up really quickly. Da-da-da-da-da. Adriano Marais most recently beat uh, Wakamatsu. Yes, he, he got him with the, the arming guillotine, I believe it was. Yeah, that was impressive. That was cool. Good on you there, Marais. Yeah. And I, I thought he actually had another fight since 
the victory over Demetrius, which was really impressive. Got him via knee. Got him via knee as he, he hurt him on the fence. It was pretty cool. That one should be a banger. What else is on this? Well, I mean, you know, DJ's cool. Actually, well, DJ was on fucking, he was on, uh, what's it called? The MMA Hour with Ariel last week, and he was saying a bunch of dumb shit. He was such a, saying a bunch of weird shit, you know? There are times where I'm like, most of the time, I'm like, the UFC's fucking crazy. They can they can promote these guys. They just choose not to promote these guys. There are there are people who are charismatic. There are people who are non-charismatic. It doesn't matter. They can promote them if they choose to because they've got the vehicle necessary. They have an, a tremendous promotional vehicle that can push whoever the fuck they want to the stratosphere. And so they were just lazy with DJ. But then at the same time, I man, listening to this guy speak, I'm just like, eh. I listened to like 20 minutes of the interview and went, eh, I don't really care, honestly. Yeah, he was saying some, he was saying some tings. Saying some, he was, he was talking about moving. He was moving from Seattle out to Arizona. And he was talking about, oh, you know, in Seattle, there's no American flags. Whereas, you know, I go out to Arizona and there's there's American flags everywhere. And Ariel's like, oh, well, what's what does that represent to you? And he's like, it's patriotism. You know, it's being proud of this fucking country, man. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> sure, DJ. And he's talking about his wife, Destiny, and how she wants to move out or she wanted in, in the middle of the pandemic to move out to Arizona because they didn't have or they had relaxed marks mask laws and things like that whereas Seattle had quite stringent laws on those kinds of things and you're like oh no your wife's totally an anti-vaxxer isn't she totally a hundred percent has to be (laughs) oh well whatever it doesn't matter he's a fucking fighter who gives a shit you know he punches people in the face what do you expect at this point Nongo's fighting Liam Harrison in the Bantamweight Muay Thai World Championship. There's a couple of fights in some of the, what's it called? The tournaments that they've got going on. In the Bantamweight one, yes, the co-main event is Nongo taking on Liam Harrison. Liam Harrison's obviously coming off of that fucking insane finish that he had where he got knocked down. He got knocked down twice in the first like minute of the fight. Who was it against? I am trying to remember. Yes, it was against Muay Thai. Muay Thai PK Sen- Senchai. The names in Muay Thai always fucking throw me off because some of these motherfuckers have wild names with like multiple shortenings and shit. I, I, it confuses the fuck out of me. That's beside the point. That's probably just a xenophobic thing on, on my part. I apologize. That That's probably quite rude. I'm sure someone's going to find that irritating that I'd say something like that. Something, uh, say something like that, but yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, Liam Harrison, fucking monstrous low kicks. Monstrous low kicks. And a fucking sensational left hook. Just fucking great in the pocket. Sensational in the pocket. Sensational striker when it comes to just getting down in the trenches, as Leon Edwards would say, and exchanging. So, yeah, and his low kicks are just fucking mental. He's fast as fuck with them. Outside low kick, inside low kick, don't matter. He's good with that shit. 
And then on the other side of that, you've got Nong O, who's got a fucking ridiculous right hand. He's straight right down the middle. Watch this fight with Fairtex. Same with Fairtex. I mean, he hurts him multiple times throughout the course of that fight, but then it's the straight right down the middle, cracks his ass and like, knocks him out cold. Pretty cold, I think, if I recall correctly. I don't know. Who gives a shit? But yeah, he's got great right hand. When he gets in on guys, he will just start spamming the rear hand uppercut, and it's fucking dope. You love to see it. You love to see it. I think he's also a pretty good... He's not the kind of guy that you can exchange one for one with. Because his high guard is really good, particularly even in four-ounce gloves. Which, obviously, four-ounce glove Muay Thai, you're not going to have as much defense. You're not going to be as defensively there as you are in, in standard Muay Thai with, you know, a 12, with 12-ounce 12 or 10-ounce gloves, whatever the fuck you've got. You just, you know, there's there's less padding to protect you because you don't have the big gloves. And yet still his... I think his guard is pretty fucking solid. Even, you know, he does put himself out there. He's he's an action fighter at heart. When he smells blood, he fucking goes for it. But I think he's he's got a really solid high guard, particularly in that fight with Fairtex. The fight with Fairtex is the one I've watched the most of, Nongo. But yeah, particularly in that fight with Fairtex, I thought he was doing a great job throwing the right hand and pulling back to to block the left hook. Or catch the left hook on the the elbow or on the hand on the glove. Got got hit a bit in that fight. Don't get me wrong, but I thought he was just doing a great job offensively. Was checking kicks pretty regularly. Yeah, he, this is going to be difficult. I think Liam Harrison might be an issue for him because I, I this fight's going to be fought in a phone booth essentially, and I think it will be de- delightful. I think. Liam Harrison's chin is going to be tested in this fight, but I think it should absolutely be one a sensational matchup, and I'm very excited to watch it. But obviously, what feels like the main event is Rod Tang uh, fighting Savas Michael. I'm here for Rod Tang, in essence. We all know what Rod Tang does. It's going to be dope. It'll be fun. Max Almeida, Buchecha is taking on Grishenko, who I've never seen fight, to be honest. Who else is on this card? Superlex fighting? Oh, and he's fighting Walter Gonzalez. Yay. Walter Gonzalez, who was he? He was meant to fight Jonathan Haggerty last time, I believe. And then Haggerty had to pull out on very short notice. So he ended up fighting a dude from Mexico. Was it Jose Cruz? Jos- Josu Cruz? I forgot his. I forgot how to pronounce his name. I feel like a motherfucker. Because we were talking about this on the preview for one one fifty seven. We were talking about, oh, you know, I'm so excited for Gonzalez versus Haggerty. It'll be heaps of fun. It'll be just full on action warfare. And then I checked. I checked Wikipedia right before the event was about to start, whilst I was still recording. And I went, oh, who's this Cruz guy? They have him fighting. That's not Jonathan Haggerty. Hold on a minute. <laughs> Lo and behold, there you go. He he fucking beat the shit out of Cruz. Uh, he won in like thirty seconds. It was very impressive, to be honest. But he's it's going to be a little more difficult fighting Superlek. But you know, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Jonathan Agatti's back against Nazeri. That'll be that'll be fun. Looking, who else is on this card? Yeah, those are the main fights to pick out. I just I think this will be a fucking sensational 
sensational card. I think there's a couple of really good fights, and there are more fight there. There are more flyweight Muay Thai World Grand Prix uh, fights, and this is the best thing that they've got running thus far, or currently. The flyweight tournament is just it's ridiculously stacked, and it's just ridiculously entertaining every single fight. So I'm very excited to see how that goes down. As for the UFC, do they even have an event this weekend? They don't. It's next weekend. Next weekend will be the Garn versus Chuavasa card taking place in France. And you've got Robert Whitaker in the Comain versus Vittori. Charles Jordan's fighting Nathaniel Wood. I that got announced this this past week and I forgot to mention it on the last podcast, but that fight fucking slaps. Oh my god. And obviously Nathaniel Wood's coming off of a performance against a much lesser fighter, don't get me wrong, Charles Rosa isn't cream of the crop, but I just thought the outside low kicking, his work with the right hands, oh man, I thought he looked sensational in that fight, and I just think this is going to be an all-action fight, regardless of who wins, I, I think it'll be awesome, oh my god, I only just realized Ricardo Ramos is fighting, Ramos is fighting versus Danny Henry, who I have never heard of before, Imamov's taking on Joaquin Buckley. John McDessie's fight. I didn't even realize that John McDessie was still around. But he's fighting Nasrat Hukparast. And then you got Alessio DeShirico's taking on Roman Kopilov. That should also be fun. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of fun fights on that one. We might break down... Well, I will do a much more extensive breakdown of Whitaker versus Vittori next week before the actual fight itself. Because... Uh... I get it, I get it, they want to put the heavyweight fight in the main event, it's going to be, a, it's a, it's literally a bigger fight, just two big boys swinging and banging, but man, Whitaker versus Vittori should be five rounds, I'm so mad it's not five rounds, it's such a good matchup, and I think, uh, I, honestly, I think it's probably better, for, it's probably better for Vittori that it's three rounds, just as a grappler. Because I think, yes, he will initiate the grappling. I think he's he's had lots of success with that. I think that's going to be the approach. We'll see that. I don't know. It should just be five rounds, though. It's it's a main event-worthy matchup, and the fact that it's not in the main event is a bit disappointing. But, hey, shout out you French mixed martial arts fans. You deserve a decent fucking fight night event, and Rob Whitaker versus Marm Vittori certainly helps that out, you know? So yeah, I don't know if there's any other big fucking stories. Is there anything else that we need to talk about? Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> Alexander Usyk took on Anthony Joshua for the second time and was able to defend his belts. Retained his WBA, IBF, WBO, IBO titles. Yeah, he's unified, isn't he? Yeah, he's not unified, obviously. Tyson Fury exists. Wait, no. Fury... I can't remember what the fuck happened with Fury. Is he coming back? Is he not? He retired for a second there, but then he's putting shit on Instagram like he is coming back. I don't fucking know. Who knows? Yes. Sensational fucking fight. Amazing fight. Great fight. There was a lot of interesting things going on. I mean, Usyk, you know, the stuff we kind of anticipated he'd do, the stuff he's always done. He works around the lead foot. He's that southpaw that your boxing coach, your old boxing coach, tells you to look at because he does the things that your quote-unquote 
meant to do as a southpaw. Now, obviously, southpaw versus orthodox, open stance matchup, is a very malleable thing. Like all things in fighting, ultimately, there isn't any perfect way to go about something because the perfect way to go about a fight is knocking a motherfucker out. And that might not require perfect fundamental technique. That just might require something very specific. So, you know, it's always worth saying that when we, we talk about the perfect shot, it's always relative. It's moment relative. But when you walk into a gym, and if you're a southpaw, you walk into a gym, you walk into a boxing gym, the first thing they're going to talk to you about is you've got to get outside foot placement. You've got to be stepping around your opponent's lead foot. Your opponent in an open stance matchup, they're, they're probably orthodox, you're southpaw. Or let, let's say hypothetically, you're southpaw, they're orthodox. You want to be stepping around their left foot, which is their lead foot. And you want to be moving in that direction. You want to be pivoting outside of that lead foot because it's like, it's going to allow you to line up your right hand. But when they throw, or your left hand, sorry, because you're in southpaw. But when they want to throw their rear hand, their right hand, you're off to the side. You're... Your shoulder lines up with their chin, but their shoulder, their rear hand shoulder, does not line up with yours because your head's off to the side. You're pivoting around their lead foot. So it puts you in an advantageous position. Again, it's not fucking foolproof. There are some really, really good southpaws who have counter left hands where they step on the inside or they slip to the inside. The classic, obvious example is Conor McGregor. Conor used to be able to, he used to be incredibly good at pulling back and to the inside and then throwing a counter left hand from inside foot placement. He would. There were times where guys would actively fight for that outside foot placement thinking, oh, I've got him. And he would pull off to the side and he's essentially like cutting an angle as he pulls back. And then he comes back with the straight left and countering, countering the straight right. And, you know, that that's how he hurt a lot of motherfuckers. That's, how, that's half of the knockdowns against Eddie Alvarez. So, I'm not saying that it's it's not that that's the perfect way to throw shit, or that's the only way to throw things, but it's kind of the fundamental approach to being a southpaw versus an orthodox opponent. In, in an open stance matchup, step around the lead foot, pivot off around the lead foot, and land your lead hook as you're stepping as well. And he does that so fucking well, you all know it, but I thought, you know, Doing all the standard stuff, like his his up jab looked really good in the first round. Yeah, I, I just thought in combination, he was working so well, landing the straight left into the right hook and then pivoting off and then going back in with, with another combination, particularly in that 10th round. Because the ninth round is when he got hurt. He got hurt bad and Joshua was walking him down and, and having quite a bit of success. Having a lot of success with his right hand and his left hook to the body. Ooh, he had, there were a couple of good left hooks to the body. There was one in the 12th round, I believe, that he landed that made me go, ooh, damn, son, you, you that that's good, that's nice. He was landing good straight shots on the outside and then there was a point where like in the in the sixth round he flurried in and landed a couple of good like a left and a right hook to the body back to back that was really cool but yeah he was he just couldn't contend with Usyk when Usyk was throwing in in combination uh, yeah just Usyk was just more fluid man there was i think the perfect the perfect exchange which i think encapsulated the entire fight was Joshua stepping forward in the set, in the twelfth round, sorry, and Usyk fading back, throwing a left, a straight left counter right hook, and then rolling under the left hook of Joshua, and then pivoting off and returning to the center of the ring. 
I think it's like with a minute to go or something like that. He threw that and you're like, there you go. I mean, we all knew that this was a fight between a superior boxer and I guess you could say a superior fighter. I don't know, a superior puncher, more like. But it was that moment which really articulated that fact. <laughs> but I thought Joshua did some really good technical stuff. He looked a bit awkward, to be honest. His stance, the way that he was holding his hands, he was keeping a very, very tight high guard throughout significant portions of this fight. But, I mean, it worked for him for significant periods. Yeah, I, uh, he hurt Usyk in that ninth round, and it's like it, it woke him up. It's like it woke Usyk up, and Usyk realized, I can't, I can't rest on my laurels, I can't coast, I've got to get this motherfucker off me, and I've got to do that by throwing big combos, and i got, I got to convince him that this ain't, he don't want this shit, he don't want this smoke. I thought defensively, Joshua actually looked pretty decent, particularly early on, first four or so rounds, I thought he was doing a really good job rolling stuff, rolling stuff off the shoulders, catching and parrying, jab didn't look super great throughout the course of the fight, but that's just, I mean, you're versus Usyk, and it's a Southpaw Orthodox matchup where the jab is already kind of awkward to land, so it happens. Yeah, it was just a sensational fight. I thought Joshua really brought it. I thought it was cool that at the end of the ninth round, Joshua looked as kind of like, yeah, yeah, I've got this. I'm in this fucking fight. It was kind of, it was very, I guess, heartwarming because you know that there's just been so much doubt in his mind going into the rematch and, and presumably throughout the course of that first fight as he was losing rounds. I'm sure there was certainly doubt creeping into his head. And then in this fight, you know, has a couple of really close rounds. A couple, He loses a couple of rounds in the early going of the fight. And then he hurts him in the ninth to have that round, to have that opportunity to to kind of go, you know, yeah, yeah, no, I'm in this. I'm fucking in this. I'm winning this fight. It was kind of cool, you know? Even though, obviously, he didn't end up getting the nod, I thought he, he made a great account of himself. I thought, yeah, I thought it was a really good fight. I'm excited to see, I mean, hopefully, Usyk fights Fury. That would be cool, obviously. We all want to see that. It's going to be really interesting to see how... Fury deals with the Southpaw, deals with, I mean, like Chisora, not Chisora, White, White Southpaw, and he dealt with him fucking fine, but I think this is just, it's a whole, it's a whole nother beast, it's a whole fucking another beast in this scenario, just working with a guy who's so fucking diligent and so good at pivoting around that lead foot. It's going to be very interesting. And throws the right hook every single fucking time he pivots as well. <laughs> he did a great job, Usyk did in the, in the latter rounds, of getting Joshua's hands up with the left hand or throwing, you know, double jab cross. And his jab, unless he was throwing it as a single shot, for the most part, he wasn't putting any, any stank on his jab. He was just kind of putting it out there to keep Joshua's hands up, keep him defensively diligent and then he'd throw the left hand down the middle and then as he's pivoting he's throwing the right hook and he there were times in the later rounds where you could you could chalk it up to him just being tired and not being able to get the same kind of snap that he would at the beginning of a fight but it felt like there were a few times where he threw the right hook and he just he kind of pushed with it it wasn't so much a snappy punch like a push it was a kind of bludgeoning right hook and then a push off 
as if to push Joshua back and reset, give him another opportunity to reset. Yeah, there was also some, one thing that I do want to mention was an interesting bit, again, towards the end of the fight, when Joshua was quite tired, I think it was the 10th round, he's quite tired, and he's throwing these right hands, and with these these straight rights, he's falling forward into southpaw every time, and he does it like two or three times in a row, and I'm thinking to myself, hmm, this just looks like he's tired as fuck, and he can't keep it together, you know, it's deep into this championship fight, he's just, he's let everything go in that ninth round, shit's collapsing on him, and, you know, but then, all of a sudden, he throws that same straight right, falls forward into southpaw, and Usyk, who has previously, well, I mean, it's Usyk, so he's, he's moving outside the lead foot of Joshua, Joshua is, he switches into southpaw as he throws the straight right, and throws the left hook behind it, and, you know, if he threw that as, uh, as a, in his traditional orthodox stance, I don't think he finds the range necessary to catch Usyk with that shot, but because he switched to southpaw, he was able to get wider range on it, he was able to step in closer to Usyk, and so he landed the left hook, and I'm like, ooh, is that something they game plan for? I feel like it's not. I feel like, I feel like he's just tired, and he happened to land a left hook in this scenario. I just don't think that that's, I don't think that was the fucking game plan, but yeah, some good body work from, from Joshua, some just really good, conscientious, thoughtful, technically impressive boxing from Usyk. Had a great time. Cool. Oh, that's what... Before we go, Cambosas versus Haney 2 has been booked, and it's been booked at Marvel Stadium again. And I'm just sitting here like, mm, Cambosas didn't do anything that first fight. I just don't think you're going to... I don't think you're going to get a super big crowd for that fight, for a rematch. The The editors of the promos, they've got to be on their fucking A team. They've got to be on their A grade performance because it's going to take a tough sell to be able to sell that rematch at Marvel Stadium. Part of me is kind of like, it would be okay if they were doing the rematch in fucking Vegas or some shit because it would feel like, oh, you know, we're back on neutral ground or we're back on Haney's, in Haney's territory, but... Cambosis is stepping in there with that challenger mentality. Whereas this time it's like, why are we back in Cambosis' backyard? It just feels fucking weird. So, I don't know. It's a weird booking to have it at Marvel Stadium. I, I, I think it was contractually obligated. I think that's what they signed for with the first fight. I don't know. Either way, I just don't think you should do it. But either way, whatever, I think it will still be a very entertaining fight. I'm hoping that Cambosis can adapt and, and adjust his game and and work some things out. Should make for a good rematch, hopefully, maybe. I'm just putting that out there because that's what I'm hoping for. Uh, anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch it regardless. So, yeah, I think that's about it. It's been an hour and ten minutes of me waffling and babbling about fuck all. Yeah. I don't know if I'll be doing a video this week. Uh, I'm going to start writing a couple of things. I'm probably going to put out a couple of Instagram videos, hopefully. I, I need to do some more of those because I've been pretty lazy with my, my Insta and my YouTube short videos. So I might try and put a couple of those out and see. Well, we'll see. We'll fucking see. Depends on what time, how much time I've got. Anyway, thank you very much, guys. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy one on Prime video one. That should be heaps of fun. Yeah, I'll catch you next week. Bye.